0: Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. Tom Nash, contributing apologist at Catholic Answers, filling in for Al today and blessed to be with you during Holy Week. Well, we just celebrated Palm Sunday, which recognizes the kingship of Christ. And I guess if you're not Catholic or even if you are Catholic, you might find it odd that at one moment we're holding palms and singing Hosanna. And then a few minutes later, we are going through the Passion Play, the the readings where we're saying, Crucify Jesus. A lot of us, we might say, Hey, if I were there, I wouldn't have done that. And um, it's like, Well, insofar as we all have personal sin, we all put Christ on the cross. So it's a, it's, Holy Week's a good reminder of, uh, uh, to be humble and to recognizing our Lord. And here to talk about the kingship of Christ and to reconcile from a biblical perspective how you can say a hosanna in one sense and then at the other, uh, crucify Him, Crucify Him is Dr. James Merrick, who is a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology in Steubenville, Ohio. He serves as the reviews editor for Novo Ed that is their theological journal, and he also writes regularly for Ascension Press Media and the St. Paul Center blog. James, welcome to the program.
1: Tom, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be
0: with you. Thank you very much. And what do you think, I mean, people, they quickly turn, you know, maybe a day or two later when they're, uh, after first saying Hosanna, in in when the Passion played out in real time back in the day, uh, and yet it seems like they did not get the memo, if you will, that uh, Jesus early on, I mean, the, the cross was something that was, that, you know, somebody who was cursed upon as it says, in, is hung on a cross, as it says in Deuteronomy, and yet even well before his crucifixion he's showing the cross as being something redemptive because he's saying you need to pick up your cross which would have been counterintuitive yes back in the in for the day given what crucifixion stood for and how it was uh not a pleasant thing but also was a sign of uh of contempt uh of the world and and being mistreated and uh not the place you want to end up of course
1: yeah i mean i think the cross is always uh, counterintuitive, I mean, and, and something we always uh, sort of shy away from, to say the least. I mean, it, you know, I think many of us can relate to the experience of getting really excited about Christ, wanting to share the good news, um, having great moments in prayer where you feel on fire, and then you're confronted with a decision, and you know what you ought to do, and yet you fall into sin, you know, and mm. uh, and I think, you know, that's kind of the dilemma that we we. We face is that um, it's easy to get excited about the glory and the beauty and the the excellence of Christ, but uh, we have to remind that in this you know be reminded that in this world um, uh, we face the cross. That the glory of God is really only manifested through the cross, and and that means for us personally the crucifixion, as it were, of our sins and the sort of purging of um, the evil that is in our hearts uh, and in our minds. And so. you know, it it would be wrong for us to think that we could so easily embrace Christ as King um, without embracing His cross.
0: From a an old covenant, Old Testament perspective, how can we see that this kingship of Christ is going to be one in terms of the the glory that is uh, of that is anticipated of Christ's resurrection, that is with the hosannas on palm sunday as well as with holy thursday excuse me i should say not holy thursday well in one sense yes because the institution eucharist but i was thinking in particular the transfiguration uh, prior to that but walk us through the biblical background of where we see this kingship of christ and how we should not be surprised that it involves not just simply a glorious king but one who gets there through suffering
1: yeah, I mean it's a, it's a complex thing and obviously the the Jewish people who um were looking for this Messiah at the time when Christ came mm. they you know they didn't always recognize him. So there is an element of mystery and um and complexity that that means that it's not all you can't just sort of pick up the Bible and sort of find it all clearly laid out. Sure. I mean it is clear with the eyes of faith, but um of course uh it, it takes some some spiritual um discernment. It takes some some development of virtue and so forth to be able to see these things. Um, but, you know, I mean, the kingship of Christ really is related to our creation as uh, humans in the image of God. I mean, that is a very kingly idea, the idea that we are image bearers of God. Well, uh, people who are image bearers are, um, well, children of, of of a parent, right? I mean, we see that in the, in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And so if we're children of God, well then we share in his kingship and indeed he sets us up to have dominion over the earth and so there's this element that that god's kingdom will be exercised through the kingship of human beings and of course this gets um forsaken um and forfeited with human sin and so throughout the old covenant we see various steps that god is is taking to sort of bring that back in you know and to try to um restore the kingship he has for human beings um, through the redemption. And of course that, that is principally taken, uh, the form of Christ, uh, his, his only begotten son coming and reclaiming that kingship in the perfectest way possible. But, um, you know, you see it, of course, with, um, Moses and leading the, uh, people of God out of Israel so that they can be a nation, a royal priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. A, a nation that would serve God. And so that is a kind of initial moment, but really the high mark is, is, um, the the kingdom of david
0: right yes. and where
1: david um uh, of course does uh, some great things militarily but he's ultimately um a royal uh, priest as it were and uh he kind of uh, really has a, a passion for the temple and the worship of god um and god makes him a promise that yeah. um he will uh um have a son uh, and a son who will reign on the throne of israel forever well what human can do that right I mean, yeah we all
0: second samuel that. so, 7
1: that's right and so there is a there is a kind of sense that this human son is going to have some some very unique qualities uh to really be able to fulfill this promise and of course uh the only one who can fill it fulfill it is the divine son uh jesus christ who takes on human flesh
0: and yet and solomon so probably, oh i'm sorry yeah, but, I was just going to say oh. Solomon kind of prefigures that in, in a limited fulfillment of what Christ does, does he not, with his own um, being the direct son of of David and um, Bathsheba, and uh, goes through right. kind of a prefiguring, if you will, of uh, Palm Sunday
1: That's right, and that's a really interesting moment. you know we might wonder where is this idea of of that you know the original biblical event of Christ? coming into Jerusalem on a donkey with people, uh, you know, yelling Hosanna and waving palm branches at him. That actually happened with Solomon. There was some question as to which of David's sons was the son, right? Mm. And there was there was some controversy and, and some real family disruption. And essentially what David did was he put Solomon on a donkey and ushered him through uh, Jerusalem, um, and and then enthroned him as king to great shouts of, of praise and so forth. And so that moment in the Old Testament is a sort of prefigurement of what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday with Christ entering Jerusalem on a donkey with palm branches and so forth.
0: And then we also see otherwise in the Old Testament things of, of that—, that... Christ that the Messiah will suffer, and of course, the classic uh, Isaiah beginning in late part of chapter fifty two and all throughout the servant 's song, suffering servant of fifty three and then of course uh zachariah 's prophecy we will look on him whom we they will look on him and on whom they have pierced uh mm-hmm. that that shows that that there is going to be a king, but it 's going to be purchased his kingdom at a price, particularly for us.
1: That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably safe to say, and I think it's it's because of what we were talking about just a moment ago. With, mm. it's very easy for us to get excited about the great things. You know, this is when we're going to triumph over Rome, right? This is when we're going to be on the side of the the real king, and we're going to be part of the the right, you know, the right crowd, and we're going to be vindicated, and it's going to be all triumph and glory, et cetera. It's very easy to get. Um, Excited about that. And so I think it's safe to say that those were the passages of Scripture that most excited and animated uh, the people of Christ's day. And so they perhaps, you know, didn't know what to do with those moments um, in the Old Testament, which did sort of prefigure or or sort of um, suggest that this king is not going to be sort of triumphant in the way that we would expect. You know, this king would have to suffer, that he would take on the sufferings of his people, that he would um, be someone who is vindicating the poor, not just the the wealthy and the prestigious, and so forth. And uh, and so I, I think you know those those were passages that are always difficult for us. Um, it's it's hard for us to get excited about suffering, <laughs> as yeah. perhaps it should be.
0: Yes, and you know the original "no pain, no gain." Uh, properly understood, not in a masochistic sense, but Christ does that. And I think at Palm Sunday, as we go through holy week they see that this is not the political liberator that they wanted and that he's not going to be like the superhero who you know shall we say uh has some suffering but yet doesn't face what seems to be a defeat which we know is ultimately a victory of christ in his death and so they scatter and even even the apostles even even john uh scatters but yet he comes back to the cross and of course the blessed mother as our role model par excellence never leaves his side Yes, absolutely. Do you think as well, and in our next segment, we've got two minutes left in this one, we can talk about uh, Christ the King and his social kingship. But as well, I think St. Paul really encapsulates it because he's kind of similar to Christ having um, three times he asked the cup to be taken away from him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. That St. Paul says three times I've asked this thorn in my flesh to be taken away and yet he goes on to say, "My power uh, that I, that I'm, you know, he submits himself to God because uh, power perfect reaches perfection in weakness. Exactly, it's it's when I am weak that I'm strong, and he rejoices in that. And so there's a thing as as a role model, Saint Paul, to show us, and similar to the Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross, that we um, that in our suffering, it's not the time to turn away, but all the more to turn to." and we see it in the lives of the saints who manifest great peace, the peace yeah. which the world can't give in difficult times.
1: So tough, I think, for us, um, because, um, yeah, I mean, when we when we experience suffering, when we experience weakness, um, it is humiliating, uh, and we want to try to escape it as soon as possible. Um, and there's something natural and right about that. We shouldn't be, as you said earlier, sort of masochistic and try to seek suffering wherever we can. Um but i mean i think that it does speak to the the particular nature of christ's power um it's not the kind of um uh material power that we often gravitate towards you know something that yes. will that will be like wealth or or physical p- prowess but it's like it's a personal power the power to transform souls uh and persons and identities you know And I think that is a different kind of power, but a much more profound power than just simply being able to tell somebody what to do.
0: Well, on the other side of the break, uh, Dr. James Merrick, we will pick that up. Talking to Dr. James Merrick, Senior Fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology about Palm Sunday and Christ's kingship. And also, on the other side, we'll talk about how uh, the social kingship of Christ and how we can live that out here as witnesses Welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. Tom Nash, filling in for Al, contributing apologist I am at Catholic Answers and uh, author of a few different books, including The Biblical Roots of the Mass and What Did Jesus Do? The Biblical Roots of the Catholic Church. And continue our conversation about Palm Sunday. And also we're going to get to the social kingship of Christ. But Christ is presented, as we know, on Palm Sunday in receiving glory from the people and yet as we know from the passion reading that we um that we that is the hallmark of the liturgy on palm sunday and that's why we wear red is the passion reading of our lord uh and i was thinking uh during the break uh james regarding this whole issue and i think of um St. Maximilian Colby. back in 1989, I was blessed to interview the man for whom he died. He was 89 mm. years old at the time, Francis Gajanivchek. And when I hear about Colby, you talk about Paul reaches, you know, that's what I love, my grace is sufficient for you, my power reaches perfection, weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, that Colby should have been probably one of the first people dead in the starvation bunker. He takes the place of a prisoner, and yet he, although he had had tuberculosis, and humanly speaking, you know, might not even made it in there or been the he could have been dead, right? Sooner. Mm-hmm. But he's there and he's the last person conscious, which doesn't make sense from a merely human standpoint. And yet what I love is that some of the testimonies that the the doctors found him or some of the guards found him as a shock or a psychic trauma. And I think it is that he manifested that serenity, the peace which the world cannot give, and I think that he showed that there, yeah, they were used to at least apparently triumph evil triumphing over good in the death camp, and yet here was a person who was serene, and he's though he's emaciated, etc. But he's magnifying the serenity. He's like, "Uh oh, we're going to have to answer for what we've done. There is a God, and um, we got to answer for this." So that's why I think he found him as a, a shocker, psychic trauma, and shows that I think that we that our crosses, our, our Good Fridays, can can lead to deeper holiness than we thought possible
1: yeah that's right i mean i think part of the reason why um we we um don't always embrace suffering when it comes to us is because the power that we can experience the grace that we can experience is so unfamiliar to us um yeah i mean we look at something like what you were just describing with saint maximilian colby and think that's not possible right mm. like that's that's not what usually happens somebody who's weak in the face of a, a tremendous trauma, um, sort of gives up first or dies yes. first. Like It wouldn't make sense for them to have a, a, a deeper power to live out. But it, I think highlights the, the great, uh, reality of grace and the great power of goodness and truth, um, in that these are really the things that, um, on which the world, uh, hangs as it were, right. Mm. I mean, you know, man cannot live by bread alone, um, what ultimately sustains us in being is the power and goodness and grace and truth of God. Uh, and so when we're really in touch with that, then, you know, we really come alive, um, in a way that we probably don't think is possible. We probably typically think, well, I, you know, I need a lot of retirement money. I need some, you know, health care, and I need all these, these are the things that are going to keep me alive the longest. Um, but it, it's actually, um, the power of love and the power of grace that will keep us uh, yeah. for however long God has us here for.
0: It, it reminds me of St. Paul, three verses that I put together, easier proclaim than live, but, you know, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, Philippians four thirteen mention again 2 Corinthians twelve eight to 10, where God's power reaches perfection in our weakness and ultimately leading to the peace which the world cannot give. And whatever mm-hmm. saint there may be that one is devoted to, that person whether through red martyrdom and or white martyrdom has um testified to it whether it's you know John who did not suffer martyrdom uniquely amongst the apostles or somebody else but then you know we can talk just shifting a little bit because we're all called like you say we're all priests not all ministerial priests but we're all called to be uh lay priests priests of the lay faithful and um Pius the 11th uh Pope mm-hmm. who preceded Pius the 12th of course 11 comes before 12 but right before him in fact and he spoke. He wrote about uh, Christ the King in one of his encyclicals. Can you tell uh, our listeners about that?
1: Yeah, the context.
0: I mean, in, in
1: part, the the teaching that we find in Clos Primus um, arises out of some of the other uh, encyclicals and letters that Pius XI had sent out beforehand. So it's not this totally new new thing. But as he explains in the encyclical, which came out in November of 1925, mm. um, and Quas Primus is just the first two Latin words of it, it, it really just means in the first thing, um, or in this case, in the first letter, um, uh, he explains that um, the, the, the context was really the, the the situation of Europe in particular around um, the First World War, and just how... Um, shocking and barbaric that was for these supposedly s- civilized and enlightened societies to commit commit you know atrocities like the world has never seen um, yeah. and Lots and of course of these formerly Christian nations turning against each other um, hmm. and so forth and so he writes uh, Quas Primus which is about the kingship of Christ um, and particularly the, the social kingship of Christ um, to sort of remind uh, Europe um, and the world as a whole, that we're never going to be at peace, uh, and you know we're, we're going to continue to commit these bar, uh, barbarities and these grotesque uh, forms of, of warfare and so forth, um, unless uh, we commit ourselves to the kingship of Christ, and that that kingship is not just a private devotion, but it is a social reality, um, and it does change societies and should be. Uh, And, and, you know, part of the conversation when it comes to, um, not just part of the conversation, the conversation, really, um, when it comes to making laws and to governing society and to the values of society and to to culture itself.
0: There may be some listeners who are not Catholic who might be thinking, hold on a minute, James, you're talking about this making Christ and his social kingship you know we're a pluralistic society how would you respond to that in terms of that there is something called the universal moral law which was testified to uh, for example in Nuremberg trials that uh, following orders is not a you know a legitimate excuse because we're all made as you mentioned earlier in the image and likeness of god and therefore should know better because the law of god written in our hearts as saint paul says in romans two fourteen to 16 but in that light how can you how would you make the case for the social kingship for christ even in you know a place like america in terms of uh, among other things that you know christ is everyone's creator and christ is everyone's redeemer
1: yeah, I mean it's a, it's a, t- a difficult one because there is as Vatican II acknowledges the freedom of conscience and, that's, and and so you know we should all have the freedom to pursue a religious truth even though there's still a recognition that the Catholic faith is the truth um and so there's still the sense that um if you're really pursuing the truth um you will come to acknowledge the truth of the ch- of of the Catholic Church um so it's a little bit of a of a of a difficulty in the sense that there is this absolute claim of Christ upon societies, uh, as as Pope Pius XI acknowledges. But at the same time, it can't be um, a, a purely uh, like a politically imposed thing. It has to kind of arise from ultimately the hearts and minds of people. Um, and so it, it, it's a it's a difficult thing. And I think again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before the break: the power of Christ. Yes. Um is ultimately a, a power that is made known in the transformation of souls.
0: There you go. And so that's
1: where it really has to start. Um, so society kind of has to um, uh, be transformed, you know, with each individual um, before it can really be sort of set up uh, in a sort of structure. Um, you know, I think of Jordan Peterson at this moment. Uh, you know, who's become something of like a cultural phenomenon. Um, the Canadian know, philosopher. Famous- yeah, yeah, and he says, uh, um, you know, before you want to change the world, clean your room, you know, mm. and I think there's great wisdom in that, mm. like, you can't expect to fix the problems of the world if you can't even fix the problems that you, that you yourself struggle with, you know. Show and me that you
0: believe it, problems. not that you can proclaim it, simply.
1: <laughs> right, it's very, and I think that's the problem of our society now mm. with some of the folks, the sort of ideologues, right, they think that they can just sort of impose this stuff and everybody's going to just go along with it, um, and there's no... Um, th- 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 you know there's no real awareness of the human soul a- at all um, so yeah I think I mean Pius XI is really um, trying to remind people of certain truths of revelation um, and um, and ultimately I think we'd want to say as, as Catholics that um, you know grace perfects nature yes. so it's not um, well we have the natural realm and then you know, for those of us who like it, we can go to the the supernatural realm. You know, no, there's a sense in which the the fulfillment of the natural order is a supernatural order, and so, of course, we would want to hold that ultimately the best society would be one where Christ is king, and that all hearts and minds are, you know, uh, obedient to him, Um, and that is possible, um, although, well, it's possible, but perhaps not um, something we're going to see before he comes again
0: talking to dr james merrick senior fellow at the st paul center for biblical studies in steubenville ohio and we're talking about the meaning of palm sunday today in the present time as well as the social kingship of christ i i think uh james when i think of uh somebody as far as a life transforming or um giving a witness that transformed a society or a village if you will would be somebody like uh, Damien Amolakai and that he, the people that had become such a metaphor for degradation, alcohol, sexual misconduct, that he came in there reminded them of their uh, dignity as made in the image and likeness of God and transformed what was a modern-day metaphor for hell. And, you know, they talk about that silly TV show Survivor getting voted off the island. I'm sure there were some times he wanted to be voted off the island, and yet yet he points out that... uh, it is only with the Eucharist that he could do so, and uh, and of course, as a leper, he couldn't leave, and and yet he goes in there and ultimately says, "My fellow lepers." He embraces them. He's not just, you know, trying to be uh, thinking he was above them, but he well, Paul reaches perfection, weakness in a, in, a, in a profound way in his life, and he's the kind of witness that gives the power of what can happen with the witness of one person in Christ.
1: Well you know and as you were speaking there what, what i was reminded of um and as i wrote the article which actually by the way we should probably say the article that uh, i wrote that we're sort of talking around came out three years to the day uh it was actually published april 4th of 2020 so wow. nice that we're, i don't know that that was planned but and it, like, it, know, but
0: covid times
1: that's right it was in is in covid tide as it were, but. Uh, but one of the things that I was thinking about uh, in writing that article was, mm-hmm. was the martyrs of the early church. You know? And there's a great example of, of this idea of um, you know, triumphing over the powers of evil, not by physical force, not by um, economic prowess or, or whatever else, but by offering your life as a sacrifice, um, by worship and, and a surrender to, to Christ. Uh, and of course you know the martyrs of the early church um th- you know the church expanded f- at such a rate you know that um i mean historians today are still trying to figure out how this was even possible you know rodney stark has a great work on the uh, um on this trying to explain how christianity could could grow at such a rapid rate and take over um, Western civilization
0: And yet being so persecuted at the same time Especially the first few centuries That it's so, speaking about Counterintuitive, and yet right. As we know that the blood of martyrs is the seed Of Christians, and there it is yeah. And If we were merely a human institution We would have been out of business centuries ago Not only because well, of problems with them But, you know, persecution from that's, without
1: That's the thing, right? I mean, you can always look at your society And think about, oh gosh, how awful it is How it's got to be the end of times, and so forth um, and the church is on the rocks. But, I mean, look at the early church. It did not look good. <laughs> the, the Lord was crucified, and then Christians were being rounded up. And yet, here we are today.
0: Thank you very much, James. You can read his um, article on Palm Sunday. You can go to ascensionpress.com and follow his work otherwise through Ascension Media and also the St. Paul Center. Thanks so much for having uh, coming on today, James.